1: I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID 19, and somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Out of Patience. A quick reminder before we get started, if you like the show, I hope you do, please consider leaving me a review, a rating, something, or don't. Either way, we're fine. On the show today, I welcome the one and only Allison Rosen, a self-described science nerd, I kind of like that, a TikTok star, something I will never be or aspire to be, a dance fanatic, which is also something I don't aspire to be, and a Mayim Bialik lookalike, I love my Bialik. And also, just to put some icing on the cake, a cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with stage 2 colon cancer in the prime of her life as a young adult, 32 years old, and that was 10 years ago. She's been using her personal experience as a survivor and her training as a medical researcher to educate people about young adult cancer. She's even taken, as I said before, to TikTok to talk about her ostomy bag, one of the permanent bodily changes that she's undergone since getting cancer. She now serves as the project director at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. And when she's not working her ass off, she's out living her life to the fullest on the dance floor or on top of a surfboard. It's a great show. Allison Rosen, enjoy. Alison Rosen, oh my God, welcome to Out of Patients.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: This could be the longest time coming show I've ever done. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so thrilled to finally get you on the show. Normally when I prepare my guests, I write five or six things down and I rip the whole thing. I have three pages on you.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, like we could
1: have nine shows starting right now. I don't think our listeners would want that, but you are probably one of the most intriguing people in the young adult cancer cancerverse uh, just because of literally all the shit you've been through. But I want to get started in the beginning. Seems like science was in your DNA, pun intended, the whole time, right?
0: It was. My undergrad was in biomedical sciences. I got a master's in forensic science. I worked in a crime lab for a little bit. And then I decided to work in a cancer research lab. And sort of in between that is when I sort of was diagnosed. So I love science. I love math. And that's just how my brain works.
1: So you had like an accidentally foreboding career.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, One of the chemotherapies that I used in our lab happened to be one that I had to take at some point. So it was, I guess, irony, but also just payback for all the research that I did. But also it gave me the knowledge and the sense I needed to be able to get through a lot of the shit that I had to go through.
1: I don't know if you know the store Spencer's, but when I was growing up, Spencer's had a shirt called Nerdy by Default. And (laughs) if you had a Spencer's growing up, would you have worn that shirt as well?
0: Oh, hundred percent. It would be talk nerdy to me, or or, or one of those, <laughs> one of those, one of those things. I am a self-proclaimed nerd.
1: So, are you a Maya Bialik fan as well?
0: Yeah, everyone thinks I look like her. Oh yeah. Yeah, I get that all the time.
1: I, that's a compliment, actually. She's fucking smart as hell.
0: I mean, I agree. I agree, but I got it from one person, and I got it from another person, and then. It's very random because people are like, have you been told you look like her? And I'm like, yeah, now I have. And yeah. I'm like, okay, she's great to be on the same level with her.
1: I think it's sad that most people only know her now for the Big Bang Theory and like, she's Blossom. She's
0: yeah. Blossom.
1: Come on, people. She's Blossom.
0: I loved that show when I was a kid.
1: It's like must-see TV. But uh, was that ABC? I mean, we're diverting. So speaking of <laughs> foreboding in one's life, you also kind of grew up with other fancy, fabulous stuff no kid wants. Krone's, and Crohn's, and Crohn's was kind of like the gateway for this.
0: Exactly. So I was diagnosed with Crohn to the age of twelve. And so throughout my childhood, teenage years, I was dealing with that on a regular basis. I had probably taken every medicine under the sun. You know, steroids were irregular for me, Remicade infusions, every type of medicine you could have for Crohn's. And for the most part, you know, in my early twenties, I was in remission. But before that, I was always in the hospital for something or seeing a doctor for my Crohn's. It was not great. It wasn't a very good way to grow up and not a very good experience. But I also had no idea that Crohn's made you higher risk for developing colorectal cancer.
1: Wait, wait, did they just not tell you that or it wasn't known?
0: You know, it definitely is known. This is why you have the screening. You have a colonoscopy every year to see what's going on with your Crohn's, to look for polyps, to look for any sign of cancer. But no one really ever told me that. Maybe it was because, you know, I was pediatric when I was first diagnosed. And it was just sort of known that we're looking for inflammation. But I never was told that, you know, colorectal cancer was a possibility. I know some of the medicine I was on would say, like, lymphoma. (laughs) I was just like, okay, I'm reading that. But I also... What else
1: is going to happen to me?
0: I was the kid that if 5% chance a drug interaction could happen, I was that 5%. I always had random stuff wrong with me. Wait,
1: so you're the fifth dentist. That doesn't approve of Crest. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'm just, it just is me. I know when I read these side effects, you know, usually I will read the top three and I'll have that, but then I read all of them because I know something probably is going to happen to me that is just a little bit rare, but I'll be that one patient that they have to list that side effect on their drug for.
1: So, you're in like middle school, high school, dealing with Crohn's disease, which, you know, I mean, all those years ago wasn't nearly as understood perhaps or destigmatized somewhat, right? Yeah. It must have totally matured you way quicker than your friends and given you an odd sense of mortality, or it's not going to be as easy as my invincible 16 year old friends think?
0: It definitely made me grow up fast. I think that I have always been like a very free spirit, like love adventure. But there were certain times I wasn't able to do things because my stomach was just not going to allow it. I spent more time with my parents, you know, seeing doctors and in the hospital off and on throughout my life than the average 12, 13, 14 year old. So I grew up much faster and just tried to have fun when I could. And I tried to surround myself also with like-minded people and people like me. That's sort of my MO. I find people that understand what I'm going through and I connect with them.
1: Right. Tribalism done right is kind of what we say.
0: Yeah, the right way.
1: So I I think what I'm profoundly confounded by, and this is just cancer person to cancer person, advocate to advocate, you know, we've been yelling and screaming about prevention for like so many years. And I always like to talk about what are the ways to try to not get it? It's a weird way to phrase it. But here you are in a situation where you are literally getting these tests because you have this condition and somehow you still got it. Talk us through that.
0: I mean, what's crazy is that, you know, I don't know if because I've become comfortable with my doctors, I was having regular colonoscopies, I had inflammation regularly, if they might have missed something. I couldn't have done anything differently. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was having my regular screening. I was in good shape. I was eating well. So sometimes cancer isn't preventable. You can do everything right and you might not have signs or symptoms. I had some unusual symptoms and things that I knew were not Crohn's. And that's what prompted me to talk to my doctor. And if I hadn't done that, I mean, we might not be having this conversation now because my cancer was aggressive and it came on very, very fast. And, you know, luckily I went and I told my doctor, I eventually did get a colonoscopy, but I waited a few months and my doctor did an X ray at first when I said I was having cramps and I felt like I was bloated and my food was stuck inside me. Cancer was the last thing on her radar. So once she did an X ray, she thought I just had some sort of blockage. And so I'm like, wait a second. A year and a half earlier, I had had a clean colonoscopy. And, you know, I looked at the records where she looked, it was clean. Maybe she didn't look in my my whole colon, I don't know. But I was in shock because you're right, I did everything correct. I did everything I was supposed to do and I still got it. So I was just like, why me? Because again, the 5% population, I'm like, I was doing everything I was supposed to do, but I still got cancer. It was a shock of my life and it just, I knew my life was going to change forever.
1: It really is one of the prototype young adult cancer stories, right? I want to talk about 50-50 later in the show because it came out the year you diagnosed. But one of my favorite lines in the movie is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's reaction to getting told he has cancer. He's like, but I recycle. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> to what extent can you do everything right? And it's still going to happen to you.
0: It, it is a lot of young adults that have colorectal cancer, first of all, have no symptoms, Some are like marathon runners. Some are like, you know, the healthiest they've ever been and they just get it. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in like the gene therapy realm related to colorectal cancer and why people are getting it. Why people, but especially why young adults are getting it that are like, you know, the prime of their life, perfectly healthy. I had Crohn's. So now I know I'm at higher risk for developing colorectal cancer, but there are a lot of people that are getting it, and we don't know why.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about all your insanely amazing advocate stuff at the second part of the show, but I talk a lot about the chutzpah factor, and for the cheap non-Jewish seats in the back, that's like your moxie, like how much gumption do you have, either congenitally or what gets sort of mushed up in you when bad things happen to good people. Were you always precocious? I think as someone who appreciated science, you're always on the lookout to just know the right things.
0: I mean, yeah, I always want an end to the means. Like I'm very much logic A plus B equals C. And so when it comes to my health, I'm very much a logic-based thinker. I want to know the beginning, middle, end if possible. I am also like a free spirit at times when it comes to like, let's go on a road trip, let's go travel, let's go this. But my mind definitely works with like solving a problem and sort of finding that answer. Knowledge is power and I've always been one for wanting to learn That's why I stayed in research for so long. It was 12 years I was in a research lab.
1: Yeah, and I interviewed somebody yesterday, actually, for another show who was in the military for 30 years. And after he completed his tour, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And similar to you, had to make the choice of whether it's a temporary ileostomy or permanent ileostomy. And he was channeling the fact that having had a military background almost prepared him for having to understand and make these choices that he was facing. You worked in science and academia and in oncology, and you yourself became the patient.
0: Yeah. It's crazy because I knew a lot. When I found out, I told my parents. Obviously, my parents fell apart. They were both very emotional about it. And I knew at that point I had to be the strong person. My mom had gone through breast cancer when I was in my teens, And, you know, we didn't really understand. I think we helped as much as we could, but we didn't fully comprehend that. But when I was diagnosed, I knew what was in store and I knew that I had to be strong. I had to, you know, use all my resources and I had to get the best care possible because I was going to survive this disease, like no matter what, because at that point I didn't know my stage. I just knew that I was diagnosed. I knew like there were tons of amazing cancer researchers, tons of amazing hospitals where I lived. And I knew a lot of people and I was going to use whatever I needed, my knowledge, my connections, my power to get the best care possible and survive.
1: It's odd when the craziest things you never predict come in really handy for the wrong reasons.
0: Right. You know, who would have guessed that the person that I had done research with two years earlier would be a a fellow in GI at MD Anderson. And I'd be like, hey, I need to know what doctors to go to. A lot of people obviously aren't in cancer research when they get diagnosed with cancer but it was a blessing in disguise being in that field, knowing the right people. I got three different opinions. I wanted to have as many opinions as I possibly could.
1: Yeah, I have a very similar arc in that I got very lucky that a member of my family was a geneticist who thought to ask my doctors questions. We would never have thought to ask them, especially in 1996. And by him being who he was and pulling the strings he could because of who he was, I made decisions about what was gonna happen to me that I never would have made that would have probably killed me. So we have to recognize that that is an outlier when you happen to have the network you need when you didn't know you needed it.
0: Exactly, the cancer community and all the people that I knew within my network were vital in me getting the care that I needed and not everyone has access to that. So I knew how lucky I was.
1: All right, let's take a break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Allison Rosen. Allison, we have to talk about one of the most emotional aspects of your story, which is when you had to accept the fact that you would have an ileostomy bag for the rest of your life in your 30s.
0: I mean, I still get emotional talking about it. So I had multiple surgeries. I've had four open surgeries. It's very complicated medical history. But the original decision when I was talking to my surgeon was to either have an internal J pouch or have an ostomy. And at that point, I didn't know if it'd be ileostomy, colostomy. So I went into that first surgery and got a J pouch. And the year after having that J pouch was probably the worst year throughout my cancer journey because I got pouchitis. This is inflammation of the internal pouch. And all of it was because I didn't want something external. I was single. I was young. I was like, no way. I don't want this. I don't want to stop my active life. And it turned out in the end that I didn't really have much of a choice. I could have had a temporary ileostomy for a while, but making my ileostomy permanent was the best decision I could have made. And I wish I would have made that decision the first time I had surgery. So like I said, it's a complicated history. I had the choice of having it the first time around. I chose not to, and it ended up getting more sick than I would have if I'd had it that first time. I had this preconceived notion of what And ostomy was, I didn't think anybody young had it. I didn't know anybody that had one. And once I realized that there was a whole ostomy community, there were young people, there were people like talking about it on YouTube and on social media. That's when I really was like, okay, I'm going to accept this. And it also gave me my life back.
1: So can you give us a little Wikipedia 101 for the folks that have very fortunately not been impacted by the world of colon cancer and ostomies. One of them's inside. Two of them are outside. They're not like you're carrying around like garbage bag of shit behind you. Like, like talk (laughs) us through what it really means to have one of these these days.
0: Sure. I mean, hearing what an ostomy was at first, I had this idea that I would be carrying around a bag of my poop. So essentially the surgical options are where they take part of your colon. You know, a lot of it is taken out depending on where your tumor is or where your cancer is. Internal J pouch, they can kind of stretch that to make you know an internal pouch that will act as your colon. So with me, because of years of Crohn's disease and all the inflammation, they really couldn't do that. They did it, it wasn't really successful, but what you have to have with a ileostomy or, or colostomy, which I end up having ileostomy, is there's a hole on your abdominal wall where something sticks out, part of your intestine sticks out. It's called a stoma, and essentially you attach a bag to that. So then your stool is expelled that way. So still have a a butt but you're sewn up and there's no hole people always think oh do you pee normally oh do you you know i'm like yeah i still pee normally that's a different
1: part of the body
0: i get that question (laughs) all the time they don't understand that it's just my stool it's just number two (laughs) um i had this notion it would be this huge bag everyone would see it i'd never be able to wear tight clothes again and i'm sitting here in a very tight dress and You can't even tell if I thought people would be able to tell. And once I realized people couldn't and I could, you know, do all the things I wanted to do, wear all the clothes that I wanted to wear, and my quality of life was improved, it was a no-brainer that that ileostomy was the best thing that I possibly could have.
1: Yeah, I've heard it described as the invisible illness that you enjoy actually having, right? Because you can give off the... I'll use an SAT word, the verisimilitude, you know, the appearance that there's nothing wrong with you, but don't look under the hood, but it's all you need to be yourself and not being judged superficially.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hidden. So you're 100% right. You know, we talk about invisible disabilities. I don't think it's a disability, but it's definitely invisible to the naked eye. So I've had friends for a few years and, you know, depending on if we ever talk about my, my cancer history, which they all know I'm an advocate but rarely do they know they have an ostomy. And once I say that, they're like, wow, I
1: had no idea. So you were diagnosed surrounded by academia and nerddom and awesome people. But what was the gestalt moment where you said, oh my God, there are people like me.
0: You know, that moment was life-changing for me. I asked my surgeon if I could be connected with another young adult like me that was going through the same cancer. I just wanted all these boxes checked. I wanted to talk to someone else. So through MD Anderson, they have a program called My Cancer Connection, and they connected me with somebody. I talked to this person, and she was around my age. She had survived colorectal cancer, and it was like, wow, okay, I'm not alone. And then I started just Googling and looking up other groups and other organizations of ways I could connect because that connection with a perfect stranger was so powerful that I wanted more. I needed more in order to heal and in order to feel like there was a community that would be there for me you know, friends and family and your support system is amazing, but there's nothing as powerful as a connection with another young adult, no matter what cancer, truthfully. So I got involved with MD Anderson. They have a young adult advisory council that I'm on. And someone mentioned stupid cancer. And I was like, what's stupid cancer? I agree. Cancer is stupid, but what is it? And so I looked into stupid cancer and I went to a conference and that was probably the first time that I was surrounded by like 500 people exactly like me. And I felt like I'd finally found my home. I was just like, wow, wow, this is just insane. And there's a sense of like relief that you aren't this crazy person. You aren't alone. You, All the feelings that you're having psychologically and physically, other people are having, they're there for you to help and support you.
1: Do you remember what year you attended the conference?
0: Oh, that probably was... So I was diagnosed in 2012. My first year attending probably was 2014. My first conference was when it was in Denver. Oh, okay. That was
1: 2015.
0: Okay. 15, 2015.
1: You missed the Vegas years. My God, those will never happen again. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've heard. I've heard they're epic. Many,
1: I've many epic. stories. <laughs> I mentioned the movie 50-50, which came out in 2012 when you were diagnosed. I don't know if you hadn't seen it by then or at any point, but it was such a poignant film in the sense that it was young adult cancer. It wasn't the first young adult cancer movie, but something about it. Just maybe it was Seth Rogen's touch to it or whatever, but it really hit home on a couple of significant things that I think the public... Didn't really understand about why cancer is different when you're not 80. And you mentioned this before like, you were single. We have to play the part. There are things that aren't better or worse than pediatrics and geriatrics. It's just very different.
0: I mean, it is. It is. I felt lost. You know, I still had my job, but I was not well. I had my friends but they were going out living life, you know, starting families, getting married and I was just sort of in this stagnant state trying to get through one day at a time with my cancer journey. You know, everything that an average 32-year-old, if there is an average 32-year-old or 30 30 something year old was going through was not the case for me. I was just trying to survive and it was very hard to see, you know, other people do all these things. I had to miss big events, weddings, you know, travel trips, and I had a job, but chemo brain is real. What I could do before I had cancer was very different than what I could do during my treatment and even after my treatment. You, know, you can't multitask like you used to. You can't remember the simplest things that you used to do with you know, snappier fingers. So It was a very difficult time. I was dating someone casually when I first got diagnosed. And I told them, because we were supposed to go out the day I got my diagnosis, and basically he was like, see ya, wouldn't want to be a." Wow. And I was like, okay, well, I'm starting my treatment. It was horrible. And when I could take a moment to think about it, you know, obviously the tears were flowing and I was like, no one is going to ever love me now. I'm scarred and, and all this sort of stuff. And all these feelings that I had when I connected with other people like me that were my age that were going through the same journey as me, it just made me heal. It was a healing effect just created the person I am now. Like, I'm totally different now than I was before cancer.
1: Well, you know, there are advocates with a lowercase a and there are advocates with a capital A and there are advocates that are like all caps. And (laughs) you are definitely the third one of those. You are spider networked out to every organization I can think of. And you have established a very unique presence on Instagram and TikTok. I want to really understand how... Instagram and TikTok work and who's watching and what are people learning and who are you meeting?
0: I mean, it is insane. I will say I've been on Instagram for a long period of time and there is a huge presence, cancer community, you know, ways to connect with resources, ways to connect with businesses, ways to connect with other patients. I think it's a great networking tool. It's a great way to connect with people all over the world. I went to visit a friend in Sweden and a girl that had followed me on Instagram messaged me. She's like, I'm down the street. I happened to be leaving that day to go home. But if I hadn't been, I would have met up with her. It gives you the opportunity to reach near and far. And in all reality, I was like, TikTok, do I really want to do that? I feel like I'm a little bit too old for it. But COVID gave me a lot of free time. And being the passionate advocate that I am, I'm like, okay, you know, colorectal cancer is on the rise in young adults. Because of COVID, colorectal cancer screening has been halted or delayed Younger people are getting it. Where can I go to meet those younger people? So someone suggested TikTok and I checked it out one night and I'm like, wow, okay, I think I can do this. I have no idea if anyone's going to listen to me, anyone's going to care what I have to say, but I knew I had a message to spread. And that was one about cancer prevention, two about colorectal cancer, and three, I had shared my ostomy story, but I had never shown my ostomy in a picture or in a video before I got on TikTok. And so I dove in and it was insane the amount of people that were receptive and started following me and connecting. And it was people asking questions. They're like, wait, I have some of these symptoms. What do I need to do? And I obviously had to say, I'm not a medical doctor. I work in public health. I am a colorectal cancer survivor, but please go speak to your doctor. If you have any of these symptoms, please talk to a medical professional. And then it was people asking for, well, how do I connect with another person? So because of my wide network, I was able to connect them with the organizations, sometimes match them with a survivor exactly like them. I'm like, hey, I know this person. You should follow them on Instagram too. And I can sort of use my network to create connections with other people so that they in turn don't feel alone. So I had no idea the network I would reach, but you know, I talked to some people in South Africa. I talked to people in France and Germany, Sweden, US too, obviously, but like, It is old and it's young from all over the world. I mean, it's insane. I thought, you know, okay, I can reach a few hundred people or whatnot. And then when more people started following and commenting and I built up a following within the past year, I was like, okay, this is important. So I'd just be in my everyday job and in my everyday life, something would pop up and I'd be like, I didn't know this. This means the hundreds of people that follow me have no idea. So let me make a TikTok dance about it. Let me let me make a PSA about it on TikTok. Oh yeah, and, I should and, add
1: you dance in like all of them, and it's awesome. <laughs> so you went to <laughs> CancerCon in 2015. I think that was the year that I hijacked the closing keynote and played piano. Yeah. And I ended my shtick when I was just about ready to stop the song, and I said, "Never tell anyone they can't do something." And mm-hmm. man. Have you said fuck you to those people who said you'll never do something? Help me close the show. What are the top three myths that you bust all the time?
0: Cancer does not define you. You can do anything if you put your mind to it, no matter what you have gone through. And don't underestimate yourself. You are stronger than you could ever believe.
1: And ostomies don't mean carrying a bag of shit around behind you all day.
0: Really, you know, shit happens but it's not going to change the way you live your life. Well done. Allison
1: Rosen, Project Director at UT Health Science Center at Houston, self-proclaimed nerd of awesomeness and fierce, all caps, colon cancer advocate. Thank you so much for coming on Out of Patience.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was great.
1: That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations.